ESPN LA 710. Annual Angel City Games, which is the leading adaptive sports festival in greater Los Angeles metropolitan area, returns this year to UCLA from June 21st through the 24th. Angel City Sports provides year-round adaptive sports opportunities in Southern California for children, adults, and veterans with physical differences and impairments. The nonprofit organization is focused on encouraging physical activity for people with disabilities and advancing the adaptive sports movement regionally and nationally in collaboration with programs such as U.S. Paralympics, Adaptive Sports USA, USA Volleyball, U.S. Tennis Association, and USA Track and Field. For more information, please log on to angelcitysports.org and angelcitygames.org. ESPN LA 710. Welcome to the experience here on ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack. Today, we're talking Angel City Games, and I have the CEO of Angel City Sports and the producer of Angel City Games, Clayton Freck. Welcome to the show, Clayton. Thanks for having me. Tell us how Angel City Sports began. Yes, so uh, I guess the true beginning of Angel City Sports was about 13 years ago when my eldest son, Ezra, was born with some physical differences. So he's born without his left knee, uh, left shin bone, and with only one finger on his left hand. And he's he's had a couple surgeries. He's been on a prosthetic leg um, you know, since he was 11 months old. And this kid has always loved sports. Like sports has been his, you know, his meditation and where he, as he says it himself, he sort of forgets he even has a disability and that he's different from, from the other, the other guys. And in following his journey, um, you know, we, we've been taking him all over the country to different events where he could, um, you know, connect with this community, people with physical disabilities. And one event in particular I took him to five years ago, it's almost exactly five years ago, uh, was out in Oklahoma, and it was amazing. He learned a bunch of Paralympic sports. So Paralympics happen after the Olympics. Uh, met a bunch of Paralympians. And, um, and I just asked the question at this event, you know, why do we have to go to Tornado Alley to do these events and these sports? Uh, you know, track and field and swimming and uh, all, these, all these great sports. And uh, so it literally sparked, uh, sparked Ezra and I to be on this mission to create sports programming here, here in Southern California, right, where we've got the weather and the population and we've got beautiful facilities we can play year-round, right, to create the same opportunities uh, here for everyone in Southern Cal and actually create a destination event for others. Right, so people can come and, and, and see what Southern Cal is and have a great destination event. Um, so that was the spark, right, five years ago, and took us a couple years to get the first one off the ground. Um, and now this coming games is our fourth annual. And we can find more information at angelcitygames.org. Sign up. You can be a volunteer um, and take part and come be a spectator as well. Correct? Absolutely. So what I like to tell people is, if you don't know anything about adaptive or Paralympic sports, as we call them, uh, and also if you don't know anything about disability, uh, this is an incredible opportunity to learn. 
So we're aggregating literally over 200, 250 people with physical disabilities from amputees, spinal cord injuries, traumatic brain injuries, cerebral palsy, people who've had strokes, people who have degenerative uh, disorders like muscular dystrophy and MS. We'll have blind athletes, uh, dwarves, uh, you name it. It's really pretty amazing in one place. Uh, and so it's an incredible opportunity to learn about this community because they really aren't, this community doesn't aggregate really for any other reason. Um, and so, uh, so it's really powerful. It's really helpful for, um, you know, like hiring managers to understand, uh, you know, if you work at a company and, and you have, you know, uh, kind of work, work through the unconscious bias potentially if you don't know much about this community. It's great for kids, right? Really good for kids to see that kids and adults come in all different shapes and sizes, right, uh, and to create some understanding and some empathy. Um, and so I think kind of a bigger picture goal here is, you know, can we create a more inclusive society, right, a society right. that values and respects all human beings regardless of their body type and their body abilities. Can you take me through how you found Ezra gravitating towards sports and how you implemented him in those programs? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So for people that have kids, I think you understand this. They come out wired, right? They're yes. just wired. <laughs> yes. Right? Like, I, I get the whole nature-nurture thing, but, like, they are wired a certain way, right? <laughs> and it, when Ez was, was a baby, he was just sitting up. He wasn't, like, even crawling much. Um, I realized he didn't have any, like, boy toys, right? So I went out and got him, like, a, a simple little ball. And the look on his eyes when I rolled that ball towards him, he's probably seven months old or something, right? Um, it was pure joy. <laughs> and we sat there and rolled the ball back and forth, you know, for, for hours. Um, that was the beginning of his journey in sport. The kid's always been crazy for sports. He learned how to count by twos watching Laker games before he learned how to count by ones. Um, like, he's been obsessed with sports. Now, the interesting thing about Ezra's journey is he's an above-knee amputee. He runs on a blade. Um, he has a different hand. Um, it has this, the finger that he was born with, and then we transplanted a toe from his uh, foot that we removed when he was two years old to his hand. So he's got a smaller hand. Um, but he's so athletic that he actually has been able to mainstream in sports. And so, you know, he swims on the swim team. He's, he plays, he does track and field. He plays basketball. He's played elite club basketball. Um, so in Ezra's case, you know, he hasn't done a lot of adaptive sports um, because he's been able to kind of keep up with the able-bodied, his able-bodied peers. Um, that being said, he's on the far spectrum of ability when you look at um, kind of our, our broader community, right? Because we'll have quadriplegics in power chairs, right? Uh, paraplegics, right, in manual chairs. Um, they can kind of move, move themselves around easier. You have people w that are, are walking but have a more severe stroke or, cer or cerebral palsy, um, right? We have this whole mix of, of abilities uh, within our community. And so, uh, but what's interesting about Ezra's journey is um, – Having understanding what the Paralympic sports are. So if you just happen to be a really competitive 
person like he is, understanding the Paralympic system, which is a system of fairness where athletes based on their disability type are grouped together and only compete against each other, um, it gives him a real path to becoming an elite athlete. So, uh, you know, so for example, he's already hitting, you know, some emerging standards for track and field to potentially make the, the U.S. Paralympic track and field team for either Tokyo 2020, which would be amazing, he'd be 15, or Paris 2024, you know, he'd be 19, and then 2028, the Olympic and Paralympic Games are coming to Los Angeles in 10 years, so he'd be 23. Uh, and so because the movement's not enormous right now, a kid like Ezra can really dream and see what are the numbers he needs to hit, right, by when, uh, and he's got a real chance to make our Paralympic team, which is really amazing. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, it's 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 really amazing. So I'll give you an example. So in his classification, so an above-knee amputee, one of the track and field events that they have is the high jump. He loves the high jump for whatever reason. <laughs> it seems like a really hard sport. I know. Um, like I look at a bar, I'm like, I can't get over that thing. <laughs> um, and and so he's jumping five two right now. He just hit his his personal uh, record at five two in practice uh, a, a couple weeks ago, and he probably could clear five four and maybe even a little more than that on a good day. The the guys that won medals in Rio in his classification in high jump jumped about six feet. Wow. So you can see, right? It's in front of him. And in fact, his mentor, Sam Grew, who won a silver medal in Rio in the high jump in his classification is coming to Angel City this year. Sam's going to coach. He's going to work with us. He's going to, he's actually going to jump in the, in the meet as well. Um, so it's just so amazing. So this is one thing for a visitor, right? For a spectator, anyone just to come check it out is if you could just go walk up to a coach, right, that we have there, the odds are that they're a Paralympian themselves and have an amazing story. And they usually get where they are without the support of some organization like Angel City Sports. Right, right. So can you go through how the, the first Angel City uh, games how it was brought to life and then also what kind of sports that you had there and which gravitated to um, the fourth annual this June 21st through the 24th. Sure. Yeah. So it's, uh, so the, the games started out. So 2015 was our first angel city games and we just did two sports, right? We kept it sort of simple. Uh, we did track and field and wheelchair basketball. And those were sports that, well, we like track and field because the way the classification system works is very inclusive. It, it covers a really broad spectrum of disability types. Um, so it's a really great sport uh, for that purpose. And wheelchair basketball just being probably the most popular uh, Paralympic or adaptive sport out there. Uh, we thought it was like a good, just an, a good base to build from. And really what we've been doing since then is um, we've been experimenting a little bit with different clinics and different sports, but we're really settled now on a model of um, adding a sport. It needs to be a Paralympic sport. And what we'll do is we'll offer a clinic where you can learn and a competition. 
So this is the beauty of this event, which is it's not really that it is a competition, but you don't have to compete if you don't want to. If you just want to come to the clinics and learn, but we're, you know, the uniqueness of this event is the competition because that's the real lack of access to opportunity for this community. We're the only multi-sport Paralympic competition in the state of California, right, that's open to both military and civilian athletes. Um, so that's, you know, 30, 36 million people in California. Yeah. And we're the only event, right, the only multi-sport event. So we want to really create this environment that's fun, safe, and really encouraging to new athletes, right, because we feel we're not even touching a fraction of a percent of the athletes that are out there. And whether they want to go become an elite athlete and get really competitive or they just want to be healthy, right? Right. So, Clayton, can you talk about some of the things? Like, I started organizations and, you know, you, you go into thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. But then you realize other things have to happen. Can you yeah. talk about some of the things that you didn't know about when creating angel yeah. sports and games? Yes, absolutely. And that's a, you're, you're such a good interviewer. Good uh, questions. <laughs> I guess you've done this before. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, because what happens is you learn, right? If, you're, if your mind is open as you go through the process of creating anything, right, you just learn a yes. lot and then you have to pivot. So I'll give you a couple of those pivots because uh, it it's an interesting part of the story. So, uh, so we started out with a competition. Now, th that's a little unusual. A lot of people were telling us in the early days, don't start with a competition. You have to start with a program and find the athletes and build it from there. And I thought, you know, who's sponsoring five or ten athletes playing wheelchair basketball in a gym once a month? Yes. Right? I said, I think I could get sponsors to support a competition. And my idea was to give the whole community something to aspire towards so they figure out their own training and development along the way, right? The way you and I might sign up for a, a marathon or a triathlon or something, right? Right. Gives you something to aspire for. So I think that was an interesting, it's a, it was probably a fine way to start because I was able to raise the funds to cover the cost of the games through sponsorships. Um, I do think that's an easier thing to sponsor, right? A big kind of sexy event. Right. Um, what we learned was it's not, you can't, uh, we can't just sit on the sidelines when it comes to training and developing the athletes, right? Because there aren't enough other programs out there guiding those athletes in, in their journey. And so what we, our pivot right away after the first games was to offer clinics throughout the year to expose people to the sports, right? To um, give them access to training. And actually, in many cases we're training the trainers. So we're going into a place like the Rose Bowl Aquatic Center or archery centers around the, the region. And our coaches are training their coaches. So we leave a legacy. Um, so we, we've, we've had to sort of back into those clinics, the training and development, right, in the pipeline. And then we also have gotten into the equipment business. So this is very interesting. If, you have a, if you're in a wheelchair, you need a different chair for every sport. Yes. So there's a tennis chair, there's a basketball chair, there's a racing chair, there's a throwing chair. I mean, there's just chairs for everything. So who's giving you all these chairs? 
right? Yeah. And, and where are you even storing them, and how is this working, right? Um, so we're building an inventory of, of, of mostly chairs right now, but uh, that we will be able to loan to athletes to help them get started. Wow. And loan to other programs, and then we use on our own programs. And the beauty of that, right, is that an athlete doesn't have to commit. They can experiment. They can try tennis for the summer and see if they really love it, and then, and then give us our chair back if they decide they hate it, right? Um, and so that sort of shared resource of, of adaptive sports equipment um, we're building and will, I think, really help the movement grow. Because how are you supposed to get into a sport if you can't afford the equipment? Exactly, and it is um, so yeah, so those are kind of a couple of the pivots that we've had to make over the years. Um, you know, the vision for the games is pretty true to the original vision now. Um, you know, we want to grow and add all the summer Paralympic sports. I think there's 22 or 23. They just added badminton as a Paralympic sport for Tokyo 2020. People are trying to get surfing in it, you know, by 2028. We'll see, right? But there's, you know, there's over 20 Paralympic sports, so we'd like to add all of those sports over time same model where you can learn in a clinic environment from the best coaches we can find, right, or, and or compete. Um, and maybe it's across, you know, multiple weekends across throughout the summer, right, in different venues. Um, but no one's doing that in the state, you know, no one's doing that in California, and no one's even really doing it in the country. Um, no one's recreated the Paralympic Games um, in, in that model. Um, for the whole community, right? Because we, uh, we are for all ages. I mean, we have toddler events. We have um, seniors that come and do different events as well. I don't, you know, we don't care how old you are. Um, all physical disabilities are really inclusive. Uh, it's pretty special, and we feel like our, our numbers could be in the thousands, yes. right, over time. So, Clayton, can you... Talk about the, uh, I, I know, like the Olympics, there are certain things that you have to do to get a sport into the Olympics. And uh, a lot of people that I've talked to were talking about the red tape and how much you have to do to be able to, you know, participate in the Olympics. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I'm going to start at a really high level here because I think it's, Everything starts with awareness. So a lot of your listeners, even now, are probably trying to reconcile what we're talking about with the Special Olympics, right, which they all have heard of, I yeah. promise you, yeah. right? So this is a really important just place to start for us in talking about how you create a movement, right, which is we have brand confusion, right? So... Special Olympics founded by, you know, the Schreiber family 60 years ago. Amazing organization, right? They built local, regional, national, and international programming. They're in over 100 countries uh, across the world. World Games was here in 2015. Actually, the, at UCLA was one of the hosts. Part, you know, it was just a few weeks after our first Angel City Games. So that is targeted to individual, individuals with intellectual disabilities, right? Developmental disabilities, they run, they run by their own numbers about 2% of the population, right, of the United States. Um, what our community is are people like you and I that just happen to have a body that doesn't work, right, the same way. Mm -hmm. um, so people with physical disabilities or visual impairments on the blind. 
And so our community starts out probably one and a half to two percent at birth, and then is growing, right? Uh, as you get older, through injury and illness, right? People are joining our community, and so the census says between ten to fifteen percent of the United States population has a physical or visual impairment. So these are staggering numbers, yeah. right? That's a million people in LA County. That's two million people within a two-hour drive or less even. Uh, if you do LA and adjacent counties, you can get to 20 million people real fast, even taking the low number 10%. So we have this brand confusion issue, right? Which is people assume these sports are being done. They assume it's Special Olympics. And then when a family has a child that's born and they call Special Olympics and they explain what their disability is, they get turned away because it's not their mission, right? And so I am on a journey to create a brand that transcends disability so that everyone understands we're here for you, right? No matter how or when you join this community or someone you know joins, we're here, right? Um, because without that brand, we can't grow the movement, right? Um, so that's really where it starts. The, the organizational structure for the Paralympic movement is pretty clear, and it's modeled very much on the Olympic model, right? So you have an international governing body. We have a U.S. governing body, which is part of the U.S. Olympic Committee, right? And then we have sort of governing bodies for each of the sports. Um, and so the, the journey as an athlete is somewhat similar, right? If you, you have to hit emerging standards and then B and A standards in the different sports, right? You, right. Get, you get selected by these governing bodies and by the U.S. Paralympic Committee. Um, the problem is the awareness, and so there aren't enough athletes coming up the system, right? Um, and programs like mine around the country tend to be really small, like small in terms of break your heart small because you know, right, for every athlete that might be in a program like ours, there's probably hundreds if not thousands that don't even know we exist. Do you think that's because of like parents maybe not being like you where you saw that Ezra had this passion for sports? Maybe other parents are more like, oh, well, I'm not going to expose my child to you know, pain and criticism if they're not able to do the sport properly, quote unquote, properly. So I, th I think, yes, I think you're right. So the way that I see the customer acquisition problem, right, for me, <laughs> it's an athlete acquisition problem. Uh, it's very layered, right? So at the start, they've never heard of adaptive and Paralympic sports. Very, very rarely do I run into someone that's heard of, of those terms, right? That understands it's different from Special Olympics. That understands that Paralympic Games happen right after the Olympic Games, right? Yes. Um, very rarely do I understand. So I think with 2028 coming, we're hosting, right, the Olympic and Paralympic Games. I think we have an opportunity to sort of change that. But I think it starts at that basic, basic awareness. And then it gets and then it gets worse, right? Because if you like because what happens is you our community is tends to get really bad advice coming out of the healthcare system. Oh yes. So well there 
aren't they? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but isn't the healthcare system? <laughs> you just touched isn't the healthcare system basing their stuff on what um, they think you should or how you should be uh, getting help instead of what a doctor or someone, an expert, says that you need to be getting? Yeah, I mean, it's. I got some stories that that will really bring this home, right, for you. But basically, because of the lack of awareness and understanding about what these sports are and who can do them and what is possible, they're not getting good advice. Our community's not getting good advice, right, from their doctors and their sort of the healthcare providers because the, the lack of awareness extends into the healthcare system, right? It's not just, right, it's not just the general population that doesn't understand these sports. It's the doctors that are advising these patients, right? And so... What happens is patients hear things like, well, you'll never walk again, you'll never do this again, you did it, you know, you'll, you know, all these things, or your child will never do these things. They hear all the negativity, they don't have the awareness, they don't even have a, a frame of reference to know whether the doctor is correct. And so I find myself, because I'm like a missionary, right? Like I will chase people down on the street. <laughs> I love that, yes. Right? I really will, I will. And I'll just, my first question, hey, do you do any sports? And it, sometimes they look at me like I'm crazy. Sometimes they give me the middle finger. I mean, it's, it's, I get all kinds of reactions, right? But I'm going to try. Um, and what happens is, in many cases, I now run into um, these preconceived notions of what is possible. Yes. Right? Like, well, no one's ever told me I could do those sports. So I'm not going to believe you, Clayton, random guy that just approached me on the street. All right. right? So... <laughs> So, like, it's a, it's a battle that I can't win, which is why I need media, which is why we need to do more shows like this to explain this. Because if you've assumed you can't do something your whole life, or you've assumed your child or whatever, right, your sibling or something can't do something their whole life, how am I supposed to now convince you you can't? Now, I can be fairly convincing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I've brought a lot of people into the movement through these tactics, but I'm not scalable. <laughs> right yeah. um, and I'm probably not even the best salesperson right I'm sure there's somebody else that's going to be more influential than I am I'm just doing my best right. um, so it's a really interesting problem and and I will tell you that the piece that sort of breaks my heart on this is I do get a lot of people that think I'm crazy that don't want to even hear me out and what that speaks to for me right and this is my opinion is if you live life with a physical disability you are really isolated and the world does not feel it doesn't the world doesn't make you feel like you belong mm -hmm. and i'm gonna like that's in terms of physical access in terms of access to organizations and, and jobs it's everything and that breaks my heart right um, and i think it's important for people to know that they do belong and they certainly really belong in anything Angel City does. Mm -hmm. And through these kinds of community building efforts, right? Because at the end of the day, we're just building a community, right? Um, we can empower you to fight that fight the rest of your life, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because knowing you have a community and knowing someone's got your back and maybe knowing the things you thought were impossible, like sports, are now possible, I think you can sort of free up that individual to dream.
right? And to not accept the exclusion and the no and the lack of access that they might run into, and they will run into, right? But to keep pushing through it. Right. So this, I think, like people say, like one of my board members always sort of yells at me during presentation. He goes, Clayton, this isn't about sports. It's about changing lives, right? And he says it with love, but it's just kind of a funny reminder for me, right? Mm-hmm. He's right, right? Sports is just the platform. It's just the reason to aggregate. And in fact, it's really just fun, right? It's just fun. Um, and it's fun that maybe people didn't even know they could have, right? Um, so this is about changing lives, about building a community. It's about making sure people know that they do belong here, right? Um, and, and I'm really loving the word belonging. And I just woke up with it, like, tattooed to my brain a couple weeks ago. And I've been really trying to use that word more and more because that's, right? If you are in a wheelchair, the world does not seem like it wants, right, you to have access to everything. Life is hard. Right. Um, But let's start creating some places where this community really feels that that sense of belonging. Right. And again, there's Angel City Games uh, and it's at UCLA June 24, 21st through the 24th. I'm sitting here reading this and I don't know why I keep messing (laughs) up the date. (laughs) June 21st through the 24th. And uh, Clayton, how can we find out more information about that and all the things that are going on? Yeah, so there's a a full schedule and um, online signups for um, uh, volunteers, and spectators at angelcitygames.org. And, you know, the weekend will feature five Paralympic sports, track and field, swimming, archery, wheelchair tennis, and wheelchair basketball happening, you know, across those four days. And there's special events happening every day throughout the weekend as well. We do toddler games on Saturday, Sunday, a little run, jump, and throw for, for little ones. Uh, opening ceremonies on Friday, uh, closing ceremonies on Sunday afternoon, uh, and, and even evening events uh, happening uh, that, that anyone would be welcome to join us for. It's really, really fun, and it's really, really powerful. If you don't know anything about this community, uh, we can get you up the learning curve really fast and, and really fun for families. So like, there's going to be lots of activities for spectators and families especially um, to, you know, participate, to try wheelchair basketball, wheelchair tennis. We'll have rowing, golf, curling as uh, demo sports people can try. Uh, It's just fun games and activities uh, for for, for anyone. So it's really meant to be open to the whole community to come and meet our athletes and hear their stories and learn about this community. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just just to go back to what you were saying um, about, you know, belonging. So last year I was introduced to uh, Angel City Games and Angel City Sports through Jonathan Brown and also uh, Bob Babbitt, Challenged Athlete of the Challenged Athletes Foundation. Yep. And then a couple other people like emailed me the same week um, from different organizations saying, Hey, Laverne, check this out. And I was like, Oh my goodness. But yeah, I've been hearing about this organization, but what, 
what was so evident was like Jonathan Brown was talking about how he how it changed his life like he was a runner and then he got hit by a car and then he has like kind of like um well a hard time walking and and is he's in pain all the time but he said how bringing freeing it was for him to just get on that track and run again mm-hmm. and the love of running is just so deep in his heart he's like oh my goodness Lafern just know this organization and see how it changes lives and he was he lit up when he was talking about how he was on that track running well that was a really special moment because i i've I, ezra and i found jonathan just walking down the street oh really uh, in west la yep. uh and so that was one of my missionary, you know, uh, efforts that, that paid off for me. And, uh, and I actually ran the last lap with him, uh-huh. uh, of, of the, I think he was doing the 5,000, uh, which was really special. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a particularly great runner. Um, but <laughs> it was pretty, it was pretty fun to jump. Uh, but no, you're right. It, it's, uh, it's really powerful. I mean, I'll tell you one, one story, just kind of going back to that medical, the medical community and the advice they've gotten. Uh, so we have an athlete that's going to compete this year. She rode for our country in the Paralympic Games in Rio. Um, and she was like, you know, the first athlete to walk through the door in 2015. And um, she had, her body had gone into anaphylactic shock. She was on her deathbed. They were essentially reading her, her last rites in the hospital. Um, and, um, and she survived. So she was meant to continue on in her journey and um the doctors all said she couldn't exercise she couldn't do all these things and she went against you know the the medical advice and sought out adaptive sports and just tried to like just she just knew in her heart right um and she gotten some sort of advice that was counter to what the mds had told her as well that she needed needed to probably be active and the amazing thing is, once she started, she started to row and she was doing table tennis. Once she started to get active, all of her vitals improved, right? right. Um, her underlying disability is cerebral palsy, um, but she had had this really, you know, near death, crazy near-death experience uh, while she was overseas in Europe. And, um, and like, literally sports saved her life. Wow. You know, so... Now that so that's very interesting, right? Because it's almost exactly the opposite of what the doctors told her to do. She just said, um, "Screw it, I'm going to go out there and get active and get live a healthy life." And um, it's in turn probably saved her life, which is amazing. Um, you know, Jonathan's story is sort of that isolation story. He didn't really know that much about these sports. Certainly didn't know we existed, and so he's plugged in as part of our team and part of our community. He's one of our he helps run our outreach efforts. Um, it's very empowering to know someone's behind you in your journey, right? It's really empowering. And I'll tell you a little story about Ezra. So he has, I've asked him to do the swim team the last couple of years. So he has a season where he's not pounding on his leg, right? Cause he fractured his, his femur um, last year. And um, so here's a kid with a different hand, a missing leg, at a swim meet with all able-bodied athletes, right? Mm-hmm. In these big meets, sometimes there's hundreds of them, right? It's chaos. And, you know, he's got a prosthetic leg that's on the other side of the pool. I'm going to run and get it. He's got crutches. 
you know, you're wearing the skimpy bathing suit and you're, you're so exposed, right? right? I mean, you are out for the world to see. He's the only kid with a disability in the pool. How does that kid gain the confidence to do that? Because when he does that, it's really helpful for the movement. It's helpful for everyone, right, to see, oh, that kid's got a, a physical disability, but look, he's out here charging, he's, you know, he's, he's doing the meet, he's, he's participating, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's really helpful from an awareness standpoint, people realize what is possible. But how is he supposed to have the courage and the self-confidence to do that? The, where he gains that self-confidence partially is knowing he's got this big, amazing community behind him, right? Like, he will find the mentors and the support through our network, through Angel City, right, that empowers him to then go out and, and integrate more, more into society. So I think that concept applies across the board. I think it'll apply to, you know, setting higher educational goals. I think it'll apply to setting, you know, higher career goals and going after that really, you know, the really the best job you can you can go after it gives you confidence knowing someone's got your back right and that draws me to uh like going to school like can you talk about that environment like how Ezra goes to school and his support of his classmates yeah so so my wife and I've done a lot of put a lot of energy into this this uh this question in particular of just how do you approach uh education Right, um, and when he when Ezra was first born, we interviewed a lot of uh, amputees, um, young adults, and kind of teenagers, to just get a sense of how did they get where they were and what what worked, what didn't work for them. And an interesting kind of conclusion came out of that, which was uh, folks that came from small towns where everybody knew, oh, that's Johnny with no arm, or you know, Sally with the missing leg, or whatever, right? where everybody knew them, they had a lot more self-confidence. They had a lot more self-confidence. The folks that we met that were kind of growing up in L.A. and Orange County, big cities, where every day they stepped out the door and somebody pointed and stared at them, right, didn't have the same level of self-confidence. And so we made a decision to uh, only look at K-12 through uh, private schools for Ezra to give him, to sort of approximate that small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's worked for us. Uh, it's given us more, uh, I would just say, a better relationship with the administration, right? Whenever there's something that needs to be addressed, um, right? There's continuity, right, in that. Right. And, you know, it, it's given him that same thing. The kids all just have grown up with the kid with one leg, yes. right? It's right. just no big deal. And it's no big deal no matter what, right? But... Not everybody thinks that way. So um, so that's kind of how we approach the education. Now, I know not everyone can, you know, has the resources to do a, a, a private school, but we are partners with a foundation that gives grants and scholarships for kids with physical disabilities to attend private schools, oh. um, which is pretty amazing. Right, right. So did you do a lot of your own research, or was it... You know, you going around asking and then you just finding these programs that basically, you know, had you learn about grant programs and have you learn about, you know, how to integrate your child into a system that, you know, is not really known to other people. Like, how did you 
how did you expand your learning about how to take your son Ezra into you know um, his learning? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, right? Because this is a complaint that we hear a lot, right? Which is it's really hard to find the resources, right? It's really hard to figure this out. It's partly due to the fragmentation of our community, right? So even though I gave you big numbers, that we're maybe, you know, we're 10 easily, probably closer to 15% of the U.S. population, right? But even just use 10. These are big numbers. But the population is so fragmented within that, that right, that 10%, uh, there aren't sort of really large advocate advocacy-type organizations, right, in our, in our community. The, the support system tends to be very fragmented, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I would say for us, um, you know, because he's always loved sports, and really, um, I mean, I'll tell you a story about when he was first born. I used to, I used to be a, a surfer. I, I still am, sort of retired <laughs> with kids, but. Um, when Ezra was first born, I was, you know, this was trauma for us. We didn't know he had, he had these differences, right, uh, until he was born. And um, I used to go surfing at Topanga and other places and not even catch any waves and just cry. Oh my now, God. that was me thinking I'd never surf with my kid, right? Um, and just me being sort of sad for what I, I thought I was missing, right? And... So the beauty of that, you know, kind of me going down that darker journey um, and processing this is it, it got me to act. And so I started looking around. Are there amputee surfers? Are there adaptive surfers? I didn't even know the word adaptive at that time, right? And I connected with an organization that's a partner of ours now, which is the Challenge Athletes Foundation, which Bob Babbitt, you know, co-founded. Uh, and they asked us to come down for their triathlon, and Ezra was five months old, and they said there's, you know, there's a surfer coming into town from Peru, I'm sorry, from uh, Brazil, who's named the Pirate. He has a, a prosthetic leg that originally he made his leg out of wood, so he got nicknamed the Pirate. Um, and, you know, meet this guy, because he's an amazing surfer. If surfing's your thing, you're going to see that anybody can surf, right? And so this really changed our family's perspective on everything. Right, which was meeting for me meeting Pirata, but then also meeting different Paralympians and these elite athletes uh, with physical disabilities. Yeah. And so, in one weekend, I was able to really shift my context. Right, that anything is possible now, mm-hmm. and I didn't have to be sad for any kind of loss. And so that was really, I mean, I would tell you that was the beginning of us going, you know, through this process of finding the resources, right, and learning and kind of compiling our own strategy. Um, I do think the complexity here, Laferna, is, is that there's your strategy needs to be unique to your situation and your child, right? Or your, or, you know, you have a parent that acquires disability or whatever, right? I mean, right. whoever the, the the affected party is. So um, it does take some detective work, right? It does take um, uh, a lot of research and networking and. Um, so we, we feel really blessed. Like we've had some incredible advice along the way. And almost to a T, the advice uh, we were able to follow and, and, and 
it got us exactly what it was supposed to get, right? So we feel really blessed that we just had some great uh, mentors and supporters through through our journey. And now it's time for us to share, right? Um, Ezra's 13. He's doing great. Um, he's an elite emerging athlete. You know, he's got the self-confidence to, to do those swim meets, and he does motivational speeches to hundreds and sometimes thousands, you know, people in the forum and big arenas. Um, so we're, you know, the Angel City Sports is a place where we can capture some of those learnings uh, on our journey and share with the broader community. Because I can get people a running blade. We can get them a scholarship to go to a private school if your local public school is not working out. I can get you a mentor in a sport that you are really passionate about. I can, we can connect you to a program, right, that, that's doing the sports that you're interested in. Um, we can help you get to um, national events. Uh, like there's just so many cool things we can do. Um, and so I think maybe that's part of our mission, right, is really making sure that people understand those resources are out there. And um, at the end of the day, everybody has to, right, they have to kind of come up with their own strategy and their own plan. Um, but they need to know that we exist, right? Yes. Because <laughs> I can't help them <laughs> right. if they don't walk through the door. Right. <laughs> or I don't drag them through the door, like in Jonathan's yeah. case. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this is ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack, speaking with a founder and CEO of Angel City Sports and also producer of Angel City Games, Clayton Freck. And again, at UCLA from June 21st through the 24th. And you can find out more information on their website, how to volunteer, how to participate, how to see these amazing games, angelcitygames.org. And Clayton, what I love about what you just said is that no one thing fits one person. It's, it, as much as you can say this is what you did with Ezra, another person, it might not fit for their family. It might not fit for their their child. And you just have to explore. And if not, not you just have to go out and investigate and not sit in your house and be, you know, just that's your own little private little Idaho like, for instance, I can't just sit here at ESPN Studio and not know about different things that are happening in our community if I don't get out and talk to people and, and ask questions and learn about new things that are happening, right? You're absolutely right. And I think that, the, you know, we find a lot of our athletes, right, have gone through pretty severe bouts of depression. Families, you know, in a case of a birth of a child that's got, you know, some differences, right? There's the trauma has affected the whole family. Um, there's a lot of emotional, right, challenges going on. And so I get it's hard mm-hmm. to step out of your comfort zone and just come and try and connect and do that networking. Um, and life's going to be harder, right? In a lot of cases, um, it's not what you wanted. It's not what you planned. It's going to be harder. Um, but I do think as you say, once you can, once you can do the research and start building that network and you know, kind of your own support system and your own strategy, there's really no limits to what can be accomplished. And there's certainly no limits to how fulfilling of a life anyone can live. Right. And this is sort of my broader goal, which is, you know, let's help this community live the most amazing life possible. Right. Mm-hmm. 
it doesn't mean it's exactly the same as my life or your life or other people. And we're not comparing. It's let's get them, let's help them get the most out of their lives, whatever that was meant to be. Right, right. And we are so conditioned to comparing our lives to others that we miss out uh, with what is right in front of us and what we are able to do and attain and achieve and be to be happy, you know, in life. Yes. Oh, you're so right on that. So you have a lot of partners and uh, you, your program, programming partner is UCLA. Can you talk about how that came about and uh, how I can say that you, you're going back to your, your former grounds at UCLA? You're right. In, in fact, I'm a multi-generational uh, you know, UCLA alum, so my, my dad got his PhD there. Both my brothers went there for undergrad and then I got my MBA at UCLA. So UCLA is sore like home turf for me. Um, yeah. So the relationship with UCLA, when we were first plotting out the, the Angel City games and um, just trying to uh, kind of think through what were all the steps we needed to take. Um, at one point, one of my mentors said, Clayton, stop worrying about everything. Okay. <laughs> right. He said, this is Dave Smith. He's a he's one of the top uh, Paralympic track and field officials in the country. Uh, he's amazing, and he's going stop worrying about everything. Just find a facility. Right. <laughs> Oops. There are moments where I actually listen to other people, and there's other moments where I probably don't. But um, that was a moment where I was like, oh, thank you, Dave. I, like it's just too <laughs> overwhelming to figure out all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so we just started. I just started looking for facilities. Right. And I got in touch with someone who uh, I sh- should have known uh, before, but I, I hadn't. Um, his, his name is Michael Garofola at UCLA. He runs their adaptive recreation program. And uh, they do some wheelchair basketball and wheelchair tennis and some other sports. And, um, and Michael and I got on the phone. We had this, like, immediate, like, it was like this. It was like where the just the skies open up, right? It was like, oh my gosh, he and I had very similar visions uh, for what what the this community needed and how sports could be important. And um, and so he brought me in to meet with his like boss's boss's boss, right? Um, who runs uh, recreation, student affairs, all these things. And this this guy, Mick DeLuca, has become our our sponsor within UCLA system, and he immediately got it. And he's like, we're in. <laughs> let's get let's get you a weekend and let's go. So that was in I want to say October of fourteen. Mm-hmm. We confirmed with them in January. We started pl- really planning aggressively for that first games in February before that that uh, that I think it was in June the first year. Um, so like we we pulled this off so quickly. Um, but it was this amazing meeting of the minds and sharing of visions with UCLA. And they've been an incredible partner for us uh, because we're young and we're new and we're kind of, you know, we've been disorganized and we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're we've been volunteer based. So we don't even have staff and it's been a struggle for us. Um, and they've been an incredible partner for us. So that's how that relationship came to being. And it's one that we really cherish uh, and, and value. Um, and we do other programming at UCLA throughout the year as well. They're just an incredible partner for us. And uh, also LA84 Foundation. 
and the Veterans Affairs Adaptive Sport and Adaptive Sports USA. Can you talk about how those type of partnerships came about? Yeah, so so this year we did something really interesting with registration, which is we decided to have it be a donation based on your ability to pay. Mm. So we're not supposed to call it free because that's you, that's not really what we're trying to do here, but it's if you can afford to kick in for registration fees, great. Mm-hmm. Um, and what really helped make that possible is a couple of our um, partner organizations and sponsors, um, uh, you know, kind of sent some funding for us to kind of cover for what we were expecting was sort of a gap, right, in, in revenue. Um, so, yeah, so LA84 Foundation, uh, has has stepped in to help us with that as well as the the, the VA and, and Adaptive Sports USA, which is we're we're a part of a national um, network of organizations like ours. So we feel really grateful to to those organizations um, as as well as our whole host of sponsors. Uh, you know, Shamrock, which is a private equity firm in in LA, has been with us for the last couple of years. Uh, Snapchat, who everybody knows, has been with us really since the beginning as a sponsor, and they'll have a huge booth, and uh, really they just, they just create a lot of fun energy out there uh, for us. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it takes a sponsor village, right, and a partner village uh, to create something like this. And we really, um, you know, we've just, we continue to add new partners and, and, um, and grow these relationships across, across the city. Um, one that we're really excited about is working with actually the city of LA uh, going forward, uh, working with the Department of Disabilities and Department of Rec and Parks, uh, you know, to really start to think about how do we create long-term sustainable programming, right, yeah. and kind of grow, grow the overall movement. Can you, again, Clayton, go down what we should expect, how we can participate, and um, then we'll get into the coaches and how people can volunteer. Yeah, so there's, for, for any of your listeners, there's a number of ways that they can participate and support. Uh, there still are some volunteer shifts available uh, on all four days. Sunday needs the most volunteers right now, according to the, the sign-up uh, list. Uh, and that's easy at angelcitygames.org to sign up. If you just want to come and check it out, you can sign up at UCLA or ahead of time online same website uh, just to be a spectator and come check it out and throughout the weekend uh, there'll be uh, like vendor expo and a sponsor expo um, and there'll be lots of lots of activities uh, for the family for anyone to come and try their hand at a few different sports and learn about uh, learn about this community learn about uh, adaptive sports uh, and get connected and then in the evenings, we have special events that people can participate in. There's a, an awards gala, which is really our first real fundraiser, which is happening opening night, Thursday, uh, June 21st, at the Poly Pavilion Club at UCLA. Friday night, we're doing a big barbecue that's uh, free for athletes and their families um, with entertainment right on the track. So it's going to be a really fun kind of outdoor barbecue. And then Saturday night, we do our celebrity wheelchair basketball game uh, which, you know, in the past Adam Sandler's participated in, um, you know, we'll have planning to have, uh, you know, different Hollywood celebrities, uh, Paralympians, uh, Olympians, uh, et cetera, participating in that. So, um, 
it really is just just fun going on all weekend long. And as far as your coaches go, how do you go about getting coaches for your athletes and uh, to participate as well as you know, mentors? Yeah, so the, so the coaching thing is very interesting. So because Los Angeles lacks in adaptive and Paralympic sports programming, there's very, very few organizations, and they're small, tend to be pretty small, um, that are helping to develop athletes. We actually then have a gap in coaching, right? So there's a few sports where we have uh, pretty good, pretty, really good local coaches, but there's many of these sports that just are, they don't, you know, we don't have them. So what we've done is we've had to import coaches from out of the area. Um, sometimes we've been able to get uh, official uh, U.S. Paralympic coaches, you know, who are who are, are you know coaching our most elite athletes uh, to give give their time and come back. Um, we've also started to really recruit Paralympians themselves um, to come back and coach. And last year, we had a lot of Paralympians that came back to coach, and it, they were such a hit. Um, it's sort of like, you know, a young whatever kid who's playing basketball getting coached by Steph Curry, right, or LeBron James. <laughs> right. Right. Like that's, that's who these – the Paralympians are right in our world. Right. Um, so, so that's really powerful. So we've got, we've got over a, probably two dozen Paralympians. Um, now they're not all, some of them are retired. Some of them are in different sports, but there's probably 15 to 18 of them are, are currently athletes for our, you know, U.S. Paralympic team in, in, the, in one of the core sports we have or, you know, or a retired athlete in those sports. So you're talking multi-time, multi-time Paralympians. Many of them are multi-medalists. Um, and so, you know, so that's an expense for us, right? So we have to sort of, we support them with travel and expenses to come uh, to be a part of this. But mostly they're really excited to see someone trying to grow the movement and create you know, the support system and the programming that they probably didn't have access to, right? Most, many of them got to an elite status on their own um, because the programming is pretty, pretty hit and miss across the country. Right. Um, so, but the goal is over time, right, we groom our own coaches locally, right, so we can kind of carry on programming. Uh, and so we're already doing that. Great. Well, you are doing a fantastic job in our community, and it's such a thrill to be speaking with you today. And uh, good luck with your event again, June 21st through the 24th uh, at UCLA. Uh, Clayton Freck, CEO of Angel City Sports and producer of Angel City Games. Again, uh, Clayton, how can we find out more information and participate in Angel City Games? Yeah, angelcitygames.org has all the event information. Um, We have kind of two websites, so Angel City Sports is sort of the organizational website as well. On either one of those, you can sign up for emails, uh, donate if you're compelled, um, sign up to be a volunteer uh, uh, for the games or for future events. Uh, This is a movement, and so we would love anyone who's remotely interested uh, you know, to join join the movement and help, you know, help create a more inclusive uh, world for this community.
Absolutely. Thank you so much for your work, Clayton. I'm Laverne Cusack. This is ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710.